Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 145. Today's big Bible question is a doozy. Does God get angry? So, hello, friends. Happy Friday to you. Today's intro is a little bit shorter than most because my Thursday has been a day absolutely full of meetings and Zoomings, and I'm beginning the recording process quite late. Our Bible passages today include Numbers chapter 31, Psalm 75 through 76, Isaiah 23, and 1 John 1. And for the first time in a long time, we're back in the Old Testament today, so OT fans rejoice. Our question of the day, though, it's a tough one, and the answer might be a little hard to swallow. For this question, and every question we get to, I want you to be sure and check my answers with the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority that you go to. I'm going to try every episode to point you to the Word of God, but I will be fallible in that, and the Word of God is infallible. And today's big Bible question is a really, really big one, but it won't get a super long treatment today, one that's not quite worthy of the question. So you be sure and spend some extended time in the Word of God for yourself to study this on your own. We will have plenty of scripture references for you to look up when we hear from Dr. Grudem later on in the pod. Before we drill down to the question, though, let me uh, begin in sort of a roundabout way with a few questions. Is it possible for a person to um, embody two emotions or characteristics that seem quite opposite? For instance, we often consider strength and gentleness to be opposites, right? Think about Lenny from John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, who makes an example, uh, an excellent example for us because I'm broadcasting from Salinas, California, the home of John Steinbeck. So Lenny is the stereotypical brute, right? He's big, strong, bulky, kind of dumb, at least ignorant. And he's so far away from gentleness that he accidentally kills multiple cute animals in that book. And by the way, that is not a cheery book. I would not recommend it as good quarantine reading because it's just quite frankly, it's excellent, but it's depressing. And so Lenny kills lots of cute furry animals and even accidentally kills a woman in the book. And the reason is he's not gentle at all. He doesn't know his own strength. He has no ability to control it. And that said, though, Lenny is a stereotype, right? It is actually possible to be strong and gentle, although I admit that it's rare. One can also be rich and humble. That's rare too. Poor and haughty. Kind of rare. Weak and bold, powerful and unassuming, and loud but impotent. Now, can one be angry and merciful? Angry and good? Angry and just? Angry and kind? Angry and righteous? Angry and moral? Those are some big questions, and I want you to consider them for a moment as we read our two passages in Psalms for the day. Psalm chapter 75, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you, for your name is near. Please tell about your wondrous works. When I choose a time, I will judge fairly. When the earth and all its inhabitants shake, I am the one who steadies its pillars. Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn against heaven or speak arrogantly. 
Exaltation does not come from the east, the west, or the desert, for God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another, for there is a cup in the Lord's hand, full of wine, blended with spices, and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. As for me, I will tell about him forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob. I will cut off all the horns of the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Psalms chapter 76 verse 1. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he shatters the bow's flaming arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Selah. You are resplendent and majestic, coming down from the mountains of prey. The brave-hearted have been plundered. They have slipped into their final sleep. None of the warriors was able to lift a hand. At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both chariot and horse lay still. And you, you are to be feared. When you are angry, who can stand before you? From heaven you pronounced judgment. The earth feared and grew quiet when God rose up to judge and to save all the lowly of the earth. Selah. Even human wrath will praise you. You will clothe yourself with the wrath that remains. Make and keep your vows to the Lord your God. Let all who are around him bring tribute to the awe-inspiring one. He humbles the spirit of leaders. He is feared by the kings of the earth. So, we're asking the question, is it possible to be angry and good, angry and just, angry and kind, angry and moral, angry and righteous? Speaking of things that appear to be oxymorons, we live in a world that can be both beautiful and brutal. A country that can offer both tremendous opportunity and yet also grind down the poor and the needy. There are many good people in the world, but also many that are vile, selfish, broken, predatory, and downright dangerous. I taught college classes for several years at an institution in Birmingham that was part detox center, part women's shelter, and part halfway house. Most of my students were former or current drug addicts, and they were some of the best students a teacher could ever want to teach. They were hungry for the Word of God. They were filled with great questions and the kind of curiosity that is a delight to teach and interact with. I loved my teaching time there. I would estimate that around 75%, at least a strong majority, of my students were current or former drug and alcohol addicts. And roughly the same percentage, give or take a few, um, were physically or sexually abused at one time in their lives. Perhaps by husbands, family members, strangers, or whomever. So many of those wonderful women have been preyed on by awful, awful people. Perhaps that's part of your story too. I know it's part of mine. You've been abused physically, sexually, emotionally, or otherwise. That's a hard thing. And you need to know that there is no shame in that part of your past. You didn't earn that abuse and you didn't deserve it. For those that know the pain of abuse, an evil was done to you. A painful and horrible evil that causes wounds that last for a long time. Now we live in a world with lots of sin and lots of wounded people. What should our response be to evil? What is the righteous response to those who abuse, kill, hurt, and profit off of others' misery. 
I vividly remember one of my students, Elizabeth, telling me how her preacher father had abused her so many times. I was filled with anger against that man, and I believe that anger was righteous and justified. The man who should have nurtured and protected and loved her and taught her the word of God had instead wounded, abused, and scarred her. Anger is the appropriate response to such evil. It is the only just response. And here we find ourselves at today's question. Does God get angry? And the answer is a resounding yes. Old Testament and New Testament, God does get angry. Unlike us, however, God does not get angry at petty things, but at real and significant acts of evil and injustice. In the same way that a person can be strong and gentle or intelligent and humble, we need to realize that God is abounding in love, mercy, and kindness, and that he is just and holy and angry at sin and evil. He is not sometimes merciful and, on the other hand, sometimes angry like a human might be. He is always just and always merciful, 100% of the time. Now, to help us understand this deep concept a little better, because we are in some deep waters today, let us again hear from our old friend, Dr. Wayne Grudem, the author of my favorite systematic theologian uh, theology, and uh, a professor in seminary. And Dr. Grudem says this, It may surprise us to find out how frequently the Bible talks about the wrath of God. Yet if God loves all that is right and good and all that conforms to his moral character, then it should not be surprising that he would hate everything that is opposed to his moral character. God's wrath directed against sin is therefore closely related to God's holiness and justice. God's wrath may be defined as follows. God's wrath means that he intensely hates all sin. Descriptions of God's wrath are found frequently in the narrative passages of Scripture, especially when God's people sin greatly against him. God sees the idolatry of the people of Israel and says to Moses, I've seen this people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. That's Exodus 32, 9 and 10. Later, Moses tells the people, Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. That's Deuteronomy 9, 7, and 8, and also 29, 23. The doctrine of the wrath of God in Scripture is not limited to the Old Testament, however, as some have falsely imagined. We read, for instance, in John three thirty six, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God rests upon him. Paul also says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. See, for instance, Romans 1.18, Romans 2.5-2.8, Romans 5.9, Romans 9.22, Colossians 3.6, 1 Thessalonians 1.10-2.16-5.9, Hebrews 3.11, Revelation 6.16-17, and 19.15, and many more. New Testament verses also indicate God's wrath or anger against sin. As with the other attributes of God, this is an attribute for which we should thank and praise God. It may not immediately appear to us how this can be done since wrath and anger seems to be such a negative concept. 
viewed alone, it would arouse only fear and dread. Yet it's helpful for us to ask what God would be like if he were a God that did not hate sin. He would then be a God who either delighted in sin or at least was not troubled by it. Such a God would not be worthy of our worship, for sin is hateful and it is worthy of being hated. Sin ought not to be. It is, in fact, a virtue to hate evil and sin, so says Hebrews 1.9, Zechariah 8.17, and other passages. And we rightly imitate this attribute of God when we feel hatred against great evil, injustice, and sin. Furthermore, we should feel no fear of God's wrath as Christians, for although we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Ephesians 2.3, we now have trusted in Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Romans 5.10 When we meditate on the wrath of God, we will be amazed to think that our Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God that was due to our sin. In other words, the anger that the sin of our lives earned for us was poured out on Jesus in order that we might be saved. So says Romans three twenty five through 26 and other passages. Moreover, in thinking about God's wrath, we must also bear in mind his patience. Both patience and wrath are mentioned together in Psalm 103. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Psalm 103, 8 and 9. In fact, the delay of the execution of God's wrath upon evil is for the purpose of leading people to repentance, Romans 2.4. Thus, when we think of God's wrath to come, we should simultaneously be thankful for his patience in waiting to execute that wrath in order that yet more people may be saved. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing or patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, so says Second Peter 3, 9-10. God's wrath should motivate us to evangelism and should also cause us to be thankful that God finally will punish all wrongdoing and will reign over the new heavens and a new earth in which there will be no unrighteousness. So thank you, Dr. Grudem, for that good word. The bottom line is, evildoers like Hitler, evildoers like slave owners and man-stealers and slave kidnappers and purveyors of great wickedness and evil, they should be punished. And the proper response to those kinds of great evils is real anger. And so, is God angry? Yes, God is angry with unrighteousness. He is angry with sin. But again, God is always merciful, even as he is always holy. He holds those two, unlike a human who I'm sometimes angry and maybe sometimes holy, or I'm sometimes angry and sometimes merciful. That's not how God is. He's not capricious like that. He's always holy and just and always merciful and kind. Praise his name. Numbers chapter 31, verse 1. Speaking of God's anger, the Lord said to Moses, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites so that they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them, 
Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So twelve thousand men armed for battle, a thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them to battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. They fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils, including the people and animals, and brought the captive spoils and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Moses, Eleazar, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them from outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who returned from the battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now, kill all the boys and kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. Anyone who has killed someone or touched someone who has killed must stay outside the camp seven days. On the third and seventh days, you must purify yourselves and your captives, purify every garment, as well as everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the soldiers who had gone into battle, This is what is required by the law that the Lord gave Moses. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire, and then it will be clean. But it must also be purified with the water of cleansing, and whatever cannot withstand fire must be put through that water. On the seventh day, wash your clothes, and you will be clean. Then you may come into the camp. The Lord said to Moses, You and Eleazar the priest and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and animals that were captured. Divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord, one out of every five hundred, whether people, cattle, donkeys, or sheep. Take that tribute from their half share and give it to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part. From the Israelites' half, select one out of every fifty, whether people, cattle, donkeys, sheep, or other animals. Give them to the Levites who were responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. The plunder remaining from the spoils that the soldiers took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women who had never slept with a man. The half-share of those who fought in the battle was 337,500 sheep, of which the tribute for the Lord was 675, 36,000 cattle, of which the tribute for the Lord was 72, 30,500 donkeys, of which the tribute for the Lord was 61, 16,000 people, of whom the tribute for the Lord was 32. Moses gave the tribute to Eleazar the priest as the Lord's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. The half belonging to the Israelites, which Moses set apart from that of the fighting men, the community's half was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 people. From the Israelites' half, Moses selected one out of every 50 people and animals as the Lord commanded him and gave them to the Levites who were responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. Then the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said to him, 
Your servants have counted the soldiers under our command, and not one is missing. So we've brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priests accepted from them the gold, all the crafted articles, all the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that Moses and Eleazar presented as a gift to the Lord weighed 16,750 shekels. Each soldier had taken plunder for himself. Moses and Eleazar the priest accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial to the Israelites before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 23 verse 1. A pronouncement concerning Tyre. Wail, ships of Tarshish, for your haven has been destroyed. Word has reached them from the land of Cyprus. Mourn, inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon. Your agents have crossed the sea over deep water. Tyre's revenue was the grain from Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. She was the merchant among the nations. Be ashamed, Sidon, the stronghold of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I have not been in labor or given birth. I have not raised young men or brought up young women. When the news reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish over the news about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, whale, inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your jubilant city, whose origin was in ancient times, whose feet have, feet have taken her to reside far away? Who planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose traitors are princes, whose merchants are the honored ones of the earth? The Lord of Armies planned it to desecrate all its glorious beauty, to disgrace all the honored ones of the earth. Overflow your land like the Nile, daughter of Tarshish. There is no longer anything to restrain you. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He made kingdoms tremble. The Lord has commanded that the Canaanite fortresses he destroyed. He said, you will not celebrate any more. Ravished young woman, daughter of Sidon, get up and cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. Look at the land of the Chaldeans, a people who no longer exist. Assyria destined it for desert creatures. They set up their siege towers and stripped its palaces. They made it a ruin. Whale ships of Tarshish, because your fortress is destroyed. On that day, Tyre will be forgotten for seventy years, the lifespan of one king. At the end of seventy years, what the song says about the prostitute will happen to Tyre. Pick up your lyre, stroll through the city, you forgotten prostitute. Play skillfully, sing many a song, so that you will be remembered. At the end of seventy years, the Lord will restore Tyre, and she will go back into business, prostituting herself with all the kingdoms of the world throughout the earth. But her profits and wages will be dedicated to the Lord. They will not be stored or safe, for her profit will go to those who live in the Lord's presence to provide them with ample food and sacred clothing. First John 1 verse 1 What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. 
God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, friends, may the word of God be richly in me and in you. May it bless you and build you up and edify you. Good day to you. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Godspeed.